Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith as we discuss the new Dream Team Blueprint. This whole journey with Mental Sweet Spot began with me wanting to share what I'd learned about developing the mental game. Then Alicia joined me and we added the secret sauce, culture. We, meaning Alicia and I, and coaches as a profession, have known culture as the foundation of great teams, but we hadn't made it an intentional, repeatable process until now. So let's jump into the new Dream Team Blueprint, seven steps for developing teams that are committed, united, and mentally tough. Today, we're going to talk to you about a system that we have used for years and didn't really pay attention to enough. So now we've documented it for you guys, especially with the way things are right now. We're trying to meet with our girls virtually and we want to work on some of the things that we don't have time to because we're off the field now. Hey, let's work on things like confidence and commitment and leadership. So we got together and we kind of broke down our process and now we have it for you. So let's get going with this. We've got seven steps for how do I teach commitment, team culture, and mental toughness while my team is apart. And Alicia, you're going to just dig into why we did this in the first place. So tell me a little bit about how this kind of mirrors what you've been doing for years. Well, I think the, I think the key part is, is, is that it's, it's been something that's maybe been subconscious for me, right? Because I know that we have a strong culture at Matawan and have um, intent, intentionally developed it without putting the word culture to it, I think. So I think that that's, that's what's been interesting for me is going through, you know, going through the blueprint and going through all these discussions with you. Um, it, it's almost been documenting what we've been doing and putting putting uh, tasks to it, putting, um, putting actionable things to it. So we can actually start to use the word culture in the context of what we mean. And how do we build that? How do we continually build that? I think has been uh, a different kind of focus, I think, in the last couple of years, which has been very interesting because the word has been used um, and we've been way more intentional about it. And that has been probably the, the biggest um, change, I think probably over the last couple of years for me and for the team and for the program is that we've been way more intentional about it. Yes. And I think the coaches listening are nodding their heads like, yeah, like we, we all talk culture. We all know the importance, but as far as having a very intentional way of doing it in a way that has been proven to work and be adaptable. That's what we were going for here. And my practical brain is like, yes, give me some steps. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy that we got to this. Uh, for anyone who knows, we've had a culture course in our offerings for a while, but this is a more step-by-step -step way to kind of like sit down and get exactly what this team needs out there and have a very narrow focus that can help you with anything you're working on throughout the rest of the season, even if it happens to be on Zoom for quite a while. <laughs> All right, so step one, we have to define our own goals and our own why. So Alicia, talk to me about when you weren't really clear on why you were doing things or why this was important for you, what were some of the things that were happening with the team? Oh, I, th I think for sure, um, 
I can, I can kind of reflect back to a very specific year about six years ago um, where there was an awful lot of drama. Um, there was not a lot of buy-in to anything or to the program and the types of standards that have been upheld for so long. Um, And it was my most disastrous season as a coach. And I think I really had to step back and take some time to reflect because I had, uh, it was the year following three straight trips to the state championship game and with us coming out on top twice (laughs) And so when you are, are used to that kind of, uh, and it's not about the winning piece. Clearly the winning is, is a byproduct, which I'm very, very adamant on. Um, but everything had just kind of fallen apart uh, from the culture side. And I didn't really know it had happened until we had gotten into the season very early and just the things that were going on around me, extremely frustrating. So I had to make it through the season. Um, and I had to do a lot of self-reflection um, because it was so bad. It was so bad that I just, I didn't even want to come back. Like how could, how could something, uh, a program that had been so strong and so culturally strong, just literally take a nosedive in such a short period of time. So there's a lot of self-reflection on that one. And I really just had to come back to why the heck do I do this? Why do, why do I get up every single day uh, early to go to work? So I am uh, at practice on time. Um, I did start to notice by about that time too, like you're mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted by the end of the season. And as the older I get, I know this sounds crazy, but the older I get, like the more exhausting it is, no matter what kind of physical condition I'm in, it just, it really becomes exhausting. So I was questioning why, why I was doing this and why I want to come back. So I really had to reflect on, on that for a very long time and really changed the way I did things when I came back to the beginning of the following season. And yeah, I think we've all been there where like you're drained in your energy, you feel burnt out, which then ends up wasting time because you're not present. You're not completely there for anything, whether it's instruction planning or just connecting with the girls. And then the overall consequence of that is you're not as impactful, right? So when you, we did reconnect and you like figured out like, okay, no, I'm here to do blank. What was that thing? And what differences did you see? I wanted to go back to just teaching because I think one of the things that uh, I was very fortunate with those teams that had been so successful, um, they were obviously very good softball players. And uh, very experienced softball players, uh, very, uh, all those, a lot of those uh, girls had gone on to play uh, Division I, uh, including Division I basketball. I mean, I just had a lot of talent. And I think that um, going back to, to the next season after the disaster season, the season I always like to say I, I, I want, to, it's the season to forget, right? So I went back to in, in 2015 was I had a really young team. And I just wanted to get back to teaching because I think those are the types of things and principles and culture and mental training and all the things that I really love to do, I had gotten away from because it became very easy, right? And every coach who's ever uh, had a team who has been really good, things are, seem very easy. But what you don't realize or sometimes take the time to reflect upon is those championships were years prior to that of building and teaching and coaching and talking about culture and building, building mental toughness. So 
um, I just really wanted to get back to that. Start at the start at the basics and see where I could take this young team. And because I knew I had them together for the next three years. Oh, I love that. And <laughs> I've been privy to the experience the past couple of years and I love what you've done. So oh, thank you. Clap. <laughs> <laughs> so you reconnected, you're feeling good, but that still doesn't mean the team's going to buy in, right? <laughs> so next step is you got to figure out the team's goals and why. Whether you do this by individual player and then come together or do it um, as a team as a whole, that's up to you. But you've got to get what's important to them. Most likely it's going to align with what you want. But Alicia, how has this experience been with your team? Finding out what they want and what's important to them. I think definitely going back to that um, 2015 season and forward, Every season was just a really uh, sit-down discussion on what exactly they wanted, where did they want to go with their goals. Um, since then, there has been uh, even a higher focus on what type of feelings did they want to have. Because every single year, since I can remember, probably the last 10 years, the first and foremost thing they always say is we want to win a state championship. And I always think that that's great to, to strive for that, such, such a high goal, uh, being the champion. I think I love that, and I think that that's awesome to strive for. But um, the first thing we started focusing on, right, are, are how are we going to get there? What types of, you know, the hard work, the practices, the extra, the whatever we're working on. But as we continued to develop, I think it was more of a focus on how do you guys want to feel? during and after the season is over. And then when we can focus on those things and we can control those things, I think is really where we started to make those shifts on controlling the things we can control and focusing on the things that, that they determine were important. And that way, the winning is then a full byproduct of everything that you're working on when it all comes together. Yes, I think that is one of the biggest faults of goal setting. And I've felt it as a player, as a coach, as someone working on sports psych stuff, like goals would keep frustrating me because I'd get super excited. I'd set all my goals. I know exactly what I needed to do. And then at the first sense of like, oh no, I'm not going to reach that goal. It feels like everything crumbles. Whereas if you're focusing on the feeling you'll get when you hit that big goal, you can have that feeling multiple times on that journey and stay on that journey as opposed to feeling that crash, even if the end goal has to change. Like, hey, say you wanted state championship and your record leading up to it wasn't enough to even go to the tournament. What do you do then? You can't just fold up shop and be done. So I think that feeling protects you in that time and it also protects against the little things. Um, like, if you were having that rough year again, maybe there were clicks or maybe something was happening off the field. If you can reconnect to, hey guys, we're here to feel successful. We're here to feel like a family. Are we doing that? Nope, yes. And you can make an adjustment from there. So I think that's been one of my biggest ahas throughout my career is like that needs to come first. And then the next step, our favorite part, defining <laughs> the team's culture. So we got to know our why as a coach, another team's why, what we're going for. And then we got to get specific on the behaviors. So talk to us about how this has worked out for your team for the better and how it could possibly protect against some of those culture killers. 
I definitely think it's made um, the culture even stronger, stronger than I could have, I guess, imagined because I have seniors now who, who have been through, I guess, the last four years together, right? So they started um, in 2017 was their freshman year. Um, and now after kind of the focus that we've had on this for so long, a very interesting thing that I have found and observed through a lot of our Zoom calls, since we're doing everything virtually right now, since the season is suspended, they all have the same language. And I think that that's, that's incredible because it's, it's a byproduct of all of that focus on the right things. It isn't me telling them these are the things that they have set up and determined that are important to them uh, since they were freshmen. And certain words come up constantly. And selfless is probably one of the biggest words. And fearless, those two types of words, those two words, specific words, excuse me, uh, come up all the time. Uh, I ask the seniors to lead a lot of groups. Uh, if we have like breakoff sessions or something, I talk, I ask them about their experiences. Um, and they use that word all the time. And they've all, all gotten to the point where they're sharing with the freshmen because every coach that is a high school coach will understand this right now. Uh, our, our hearts are breaking for seniors right now because they most likely won't get a chance to play, right? Um, but I also think about the freshmen because I know, I know what impact an entire high school season in my program can make a difference for that player and what enormous growth they have in those three years, but they also get the leadership from the seniors and the same type of stories from the seniors that they heard when they were freshmen. And that part also hurts because they're missing out on so much too. And so what we've tried to do is consistently have those seniors share stories and experiences and what they would want for their freshmen to hear because they, they say it often. Uh, all the seniors say the exact same thing. And the interesting thing is I'm not telling them what to say. That's the best part. And they're all saying things like, you know, just when you're truly selfless and you're truly fearless, nobody cares if you make a mistake. We don't, we don't care if you make a mistake. It's no big deal. Even though they all admit they were scared to death as freshmen on, on varsity to make a mistake. They've gotten to the point now where they don't care if they make a mistake. And that takes time, that takes uh, effort, that takes culture, that takes support, that takes all the things that they've said is deemed important to them. So when you can get those kids to that point, holy cow, is that awesome to watch. And I think that that's the greatest, the greatest gift I could ever get as a coach is to watch these uh, young kids kind of grow into these leaders and develop the culture they want, but they're also not just developing it, they're living it every day. And they're really trying to foster it even through virtual right now, which is the coolest thing to see. Ah, I love that. And any, any coach will get this when the girls start echoing the, even just the words and the meaning behind it that you want for them. Like we all say we want to develop leaders on and off the field but when you start seeing it and they do it on their own that's when you're like yes oh for sure yeah so oh, five five <laughs> <laughs> it literally it almost it, it gets me emotional sometimes just to watch them because you know I think they still have hope I always of course I still have hope we're still gonna play but I think the reality may be starting to set in so I think um, we're starting to shift our, our conversations and um, in the leadership group that I have, I have uh, four of my five seniors and one junior. So uh, those kids, we meet separately and 
I'm my only like message to them, I think for our last leadership is uh, one of the chapters we read was titled tradition never, uh, excuse me, um, culture never graduates. And I think that uh, in tradition never graduates that type of theme. So I think, I think it's really important that these seniors give everything they've got to the whoever's here right now and, and be the leaders and, and share what they can because they don't want them to waste the opportunity. Is the opportunity the one that they wanted? No. Is it an opportunity that they would give anything to have back? Yes. Uh, but what they have to do is be able to focus on what they can do and what they instead of what they can't do right now. And uh, what kind of a legacy do they want to leave with the, with the rest of these girls? Because that's probably where we're going to be at. And I think that it's really important for them not to shut down. I think that they have a really unique opportunity. Although again, not the one they want to be able to, to be the leaders and, and really kind of leave a legacy left on the rest of these kids that are coming back next year. Yeah, I don't think any player is going to say they were happy with <laughs> like no. what happened mm -hmm. and what they had to deal with. But I do think when you focus on these things and you're being intentional, they will 100% reflect back and be very proud of themselves. And that is what we want for these girls. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard to, to read their, their true feelings. Cause I think they might be pretty good at hiding on FaceTime and zoom calls because they're probably used to that, to be honest, but I know they're upset and, um, but they, but they come every single uh, day. We have a, we have a call every day at four o'clock Monday through Friday. Cause those are practice days. So we decided to keep it like that just for fun. And uh, they show up every single day. Every single one of them are always there. The, the first one's on, the last one's off. And um, like I said, those are the types of things that you're not telling your players you expect of them. They just do it. And I think that that's what they learn from, from the seniors before them and the leaders before them. And they are really proud, I think, to be able to continue that. Well, that's the perfect segue into our next step here. <laughs> Could work. Uh, so after you've got your culture established, like usually it's the team picking some words that are really important to them. Then you've got to find some resources, activities, something that will engage them in a different way because every coach also knows that um, they get tuned, <laughs> tuned out to our voice after a while and every parent mm -hmm. knows this as well. So I think one of your coolest things was always the notebook and that's what you did. You have been doing this for years. Uh, what are some ways that you choose resources and activities to help support that culture? Uh, stories. I think other stories that they can relate to. It doesn't have to be softball. It doesn't even have to be sports. But I think the single most thing uh, that started the notebooks that became the common thing that everyone could understand were stories. And, and then we had the conversations related and, or how they could relate to those stories and how it uh, impacted them on and off the field. I love that. And I think there's so many good stories out there. For those listening, I will uh, start a post in our Facebook group this evening to get all the books out there. But I think that's honestly the best way to go about it. Uh, we've done books, uh, TED Talks, quotes, videos, any kind of like you said, story that can really get them to feel the emotion of these words that they chose and this culture that they're working towards. 
Mm-hmm. And I think podcasts are, and TED Talks are great resources as well now that we've moved towards. When I first started the uh, notebooks, it was before podcasts and TED Talks, maybe not before they existed, maybe before they were popular, but um, I think you still have my notebook <laughs> from- Yes, from, I haven't returned it. Whoops. Yeah, that's okay. Because <laughs> every time I come see you, I don't want to lug it back. But um, I, I think it's just important to find stuff that's that's unique to either your team or a story they can learn from. And they always tell me, coach, you have such a great knack for picking out the right quote or the right story. And I think it's just, if you're intentional about it is really all it is because sometimes I'm trying to send them a message or, or to have them really think about something differently. And, and I think if you can have that, um, have that patience to find something and be intentional about it is one of the most effective. Greed and the next step is my favorite schedule and plan this out. <laughs> so this does not mean what I tried to do my first year as a head coach. And I literally like planned out every week, like, okay, six months from now, we're going to be talking about this. It doesn't work that way, <laughs> but it's more of, Hey, we have these five words we want to focus on. I have these resources already in my head that I want them to talk about. And then you can find others down the road, but I want you guys to be able to schedule enough ahead of time. Maybe that's a week, maybe that's a couple of days, um, especially if you're going every day, like high school, college. Um, but for like the youth travel ball world, maybe it'd be better for like a week or two schedule out like, okay, the theme of this week is going to be blank. And we're going to talk about this. It doesn't mean you have to have a whole like bank of things, <laughs> but if you can, that's awesome. Um, I know one of our guests was talking about, he has like a whole file folder of things he's saved. Um, but that way when things get busy, um, with just life in general, not just softball, uh, you always have something to go to and you'll be able to find something great. What are some ways, Alicia, that you found at least planning a little bit ahead and knowing what you want to focus on for the next week. How has that helped with making sure you stay intentional with culture building? Yeah, I think that it's, it's been um, challenging at times because I'm like you, I'm a planner. So I would have, you know, at a bare minimum three weeks, excuse me, three days planned out uh, sometimes, you know, like you said, a week or two, but less laid plans. Right. So um, I remember when we documented uh, my season, uh, the very first episodes we ever did, I literally had to change the whole thing after day two, right? So it's <laughs> right, like, right. or maybe happens. three. Yeah, <laughs> it always happens. So I think that um, that reflection piece when you come home after practice, um, especially after a week, okay, because every single coach will have the same thing in their head, which I I did last year, something awful, like, what can I do to fix things or change things? What's wrong? What can I do differently? And I think we can really spin out of control with that. I think. Oh if you, yeah. Yeah. Big time. And that was me last year. Right. And I think that was well documented as well. Like it just, I was trying too hard, trying to overcoach, trying to, trying to dig too deep when the answer was right there in front of me, if I just took a step back. Right. So I think that if you, um, not overwhelm yourself, cause if you're overwhelmed yourself, you, sure as heck know that your kids are going to be overwhelmed. So I think it's being not only intentional, but finding something, um, that, and keep, keep simple, keep it simple. And even if it's repeating a thing, yeah, keep it simple, stupid, I think is an actual, uh, acronym, right? So I need that tattooed on my arm. (laughs) I know keeping it simple really is key. And, uh, 
it's still, it's still difficult. I think sometimes I can overcomplicate it because I, I find this perfect story and the kid's are like, oh, I don't get it. And you're like, what do you mean you don't get it? You just ruined my whole plan. So <laughs> I think it's, it's sometimes just letting go of, even if you don't have something that day to put in your notebook, that was the other thing too, for me, like I, I was bound and determined to have something up for the notebook every single practice. And it didn't always work out because uh, I have a, a nine to five, you know, corporate job. So unless I had time at lunchtime to do what I called government work, <laughs> making copies or printing, <laughs> I, uh, I was not able to sometimes bring something. So I had to be able to adjust to that as well. If I had a busy day, for example, or you just get home and you're in our family, and you want to cook dinner and you, you know what, sometimes you just, you don't get to it. So keeping it simple and always just being able to just have conversations with them is really easy to do even without physical material. Yes. I like that. So I think when I say a schedule and plan, it's more like just be intentional. Right. I, I like this. Which brings me to the next thing, which we kind of get right into. Next step is reflect and track in some way. Um, I think with so much data out there right now, um, I've never used like blast motion and cool things like that, but I know myself <laughs> mm-hmm. and I would geek too much out on yep. the stats mm-hmm. I <laughs> and get obsessed I with it, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, so if anybody else is like me, don't get too caught up in this, but some way to track and just reward progress. Um, what are some ways that you make sure the team in general reflects on, okay, are we being fearless? Are we being selfless? And how do you quote unquote track that so that it does build that true confidence over time? I asked them. <laughs> I know that sounds very, very simple, but um, I've been very fortunate to have a really great relationship with my team, uh, great relationships with my individual players and I can just ask them and I know I'm going to get an honest answer. Now that may not always be the case, but, um, I, I just ask them like, how is our culture? We have a, a weekly review, um, every single Monday. Uh, I actually got that from a state championship volleyball coach at the women in sports leadership, uh, conference, I think two or three years ago where she said that they, they had a, a review every Monday and I changed the questions and the change the way I approached it. But I thought, well, that's, why haven't I been doing that? Ask them. <laughs> like I, if I ask them, what do they think they need at practice? Sometimes I will just ask them, what do you guys need today? And they'll be like, coach, we just need a lot of ground balls or we really need this. We really need live. They'll, they'll tell me. And I think, so if you can, have, you can reflect yourself because sometimes what we think as a coach is happening, isn't always happening. Cause we might think things are awesome and rosy and it's actually not, or we might really think they're struggling, but they're really feeling great. So I think without that communication, you're not even going to know. So being able to review it weekly and uh, using those words and in your language, uh, in every huddle, uh, if there's something going on at practice, uh, you're doing a drill, for example, and it's not going well, stop and ask them, what are they feeling? It, it, and it has nothing to do with the drill at the time, right? It has something, everything to do with um, their frustration of, of not being perfect or their frustration of letting, it might be letting some teammates down. And then you revert back to the culture and you ask them, are they still living the culture? And if they are, then great. Then celebrate that and go forward. I think that is the perfect answer. We need to ask them more. 
<laughs> I think too many times we coaches try to be like, okay, well, I'm in charge and I need to fix everything. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to figure it out. <laughs> when Nope. You'll get a lot better info. You won't go down the wrong path. You won't slow down progress just because you're trying so hard to figure it out if you just ask. <laughs> right. And one of the words, the, the culture might be communicative, communicative right? Like they, maybe oh, they just yeah. really want to communicate well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a two-way street, coach, <laughs> right? So, you, Are you talking got... to me? You're talking to me now. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm talking to me too because I think that it's just, or every coach out there, like communication is, is truly a two-way street and trust is a two-way street. And without those open dialogues at practice and asking your team um, those questions and having an open dialogue, you're not actually going to know. I love that. Okay, we've gotten to the final step which is protect and enhance that culture. So we've got our words. We're just going to stick with fearless and selfless for now because those are the two mm-hmm. I remember from mm-hmm. last year. Um, so what are some things that can chip away at that? Uh, in my experience, it was always like one person's individual thing, oftentimes uh, off the field, um, oftentimes like a lack of confidence even. But what are some of the things that individuals can bring in that can unintentionally chip at that culture and then kind of take the team off track? What are some of those things that have happened for your teams in the past? And then what would you suggest to kind of patch those holes before they become an issue? Uh, I think for selfless, for sure, are in dis- uh, disappointed individuals with a individual performance, mm-hmm. an individual at bat, an individual inning that they pitched or game. Uh, or weekend, right? Whatever it may be. Um, that is probably the single most thing that we've had to work on the most. It's not about you. It never has been and never will be when you're a part of a team, especially this team. So um, kids get really disappointed, right? Every coach knows there's the dad on the sideline that's screaming and yelling at the kid because they struck out. Well, she doesn't need that too, number one. But number two, if you ask these kids flat out, what is going through your head after they strike out the first thing almost every time I let my teammates down. I let my coach down. Those are the two main areas of concern for them. They let somebody down. So that generally turns into a negative reaction. The other thing is if it's not, and you're just flat out upset because you struck out and you go pout on the bench, then you're turning it into being about you. And when you do that, um, you are not living the culture that you said you wanted to live. So, that is another uh, kind of piece where my kids are trying to really explain uh, to everyone else. We don't care if you mess up, but just come, you know, we got your back. You got the next one, but it's all about how you react to it It is what's important to us is what they were saying. So that is probably the single most uh, thing, I guess, that can really chip away at that culture. And if it's, if it's happening constantly, I have no problem pulling those kids aside and calling them out. Because you told me at the beginning of the season, you know, player, that you wanted to be selfless. That was really important to you. When you act this way, you're being selfish and not selfless. So it's not okay. If you're disappointed, I understand. If you, It's all about how you react, which you can control. I don't care about the result. Your teammates don't care about the result. They care how you act. They care react. They care about how you come back into the dugout. So those individual conversations have to happen sometimes. And it's a, it's a natural thing, right? Kids want to do well. They want to do well for the team, for the coaches, their parents, you know, themselves, they, they want to do well. 
And that's okay to acknowledge that. And secondly, for the fearless piece, that comes up mostly in practice when the kids are scared to dive. That's the main example that we use all the time, especially in defense, because that's when it comes up the most, I think, at least for us. Obviously, it applies to everything, whether you're base running or pitching. You can't be afraid to to throw your you know change up with two strikes, even if it's not your best pitch. But if the coach or the catcher gives a sign, throw it. Throw it without um, without the fear, right? To to have the confidence because that's usually where it comes it turns into right is having the confidence. But um, in our program, if we don't dive for balls, everyone stops and drops and gives ten pushups. And that is also unspoken. It's something that's happened um, over time where the expectation is you at least try. Because if you're not trying, then you're playing fearfully and you're not playing fearlessly like what we want or, you know, what the kids deemed was important to them. Again, that was that came from them. So the kids have told me at the beginning of the season, that's what's important to them. That's what I will hold them to and then hold the standard to. And I tell them that as well. So I think that you'll see, you know, if somebody doesn't dive, Everyone takes off their glove and they do 10 push-ups. Nobody needs to say anything. They do it and then they get back and then the cheering comes back and the supportive part piece comes back. So I think that um, that's, that's also another reflection piece when you can sit back and watch as a coach that they expect that of themselves. And when they don't do it, it's a consequence, but they get over it and move on. So that allows these kids to have the confidence to eventually learn to dive, to actually make those plays and uh, continue to practice and play that way 100% of the time. Yes. Yeah. So I needed that as a player. So mm-hmm. I feel like this is a good spot to share my story as an athlete that got me into this whole adventure. Um, so I was that kid too. Uh, I wanted to be a good teammate. I, I wanted to be selfless. Um, when I first had the realization that my attitude, my being hard on myself, my pouting, when I realized how selfish that was, that's when I knew like, oh no, I've got to do something about this. And unfortunately, it wasn't until my junior year in college, <laughs> which people have heard before. So ugh, a little angry, it took me a while. But I think that's what, this is exactly where my expertise and your expertise meet. So to enhance that culture, I personally needed some lessons in how to manage my self-talk, how to manage the emotions that were just immediate upon. Like I was a freaking crier and as the tears were coming down, I'm like, fine. Like knew I shouldn't be crying, knew I was immediately embarrassed that I was crying. I'm a teenager at this point, come on. But for me, I needed some skills to be built the mental skills inside to be able to control the emotions that were triggered and control my thoughts and move more towards being confident and courageous. So I think this is when we bring in all of our courses on how to focus, how to practice your self-talk and use imagery, use breathing. So I think in the evolution of our business, this is really exciting to me. So for coaches who have asked us, we got a question in our group that actually sparked this. Like what what are some things I can teach my girls now since we have time with them face-to-face and we can't work on physical skills anyway? Like what are some things to work on confidence and self-talk? I think it's our natural inclination to jump to fixing, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That's what we do as coaches, Mm -hmm. teaching. 
Um, but I think when you start with these seven steps first, that's why your culture is stuck. You they because you have the backup when things don't go well. Like me as a player, if I had another rough day with my composure, to have my teammates in my ear saying like, "No, we still trust you. You're going all out. Play fearless. Play selfless." That would have helped me bounce back so much faster. So I think the combination of the skills plus culture is what's really going to turn people around. I think my journey personally, even these past couple of years with this business, talking all of this, thinking about it, especially being on a coaching sabbatical and really reflecting a lot. Uh, I think this is where the magic is because I think every one of us would put on our like coaching philosophy that we want to impact players and change lives and make a difference. I think when you go through this process and be intentional with it, going through the right steps, the right time, reflecting, I think this is how we continue to make a big impact on our girls. Without, Sorry, I went on forever. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, I'd say hands down, without a doubt, that's the single most important thing um, in my entire program. And what is the absolute absolute foundation of everything that we do including the mental training that that really builds because without it everything that you're trying to focus on confidence and self-talk and all of those things that we've we've gone over and talked about and the things that are in our blueprint right it's it's just not going to be as effective yeah i was actually reflecting on that i haven't even told you this yet alicia i think this is the blueprint now we've made the dream team blueprint before but i think this is the actual blueprint this repeated year after year, refined, made to your coaching style, bring in the girls that fit it. I think that's the blueprint for a dream team. A hundred percent agree. Any other thoughts? I just got real passionate about that. I'm excited. No, it's okay. That's okay. <laughs> no, I, I think we've covered everything and I, I, it's my favorite talk, topic to talk about. I could, you know, if I could work with every team in America, I would just to, to work on building culture and to, to talk about how to and the importance of it um, and just working with people is what one of the, I just love doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Even with my own kids. And, and that's the one thing that um, even though I'm not getting right now uh, the face to face and, and actually hitting ground balls and stuff like that, I still get to work with them and, and do this and see this in motion every single day. And, and I think that's, what's really uh, keeping me going and keeping these kids going and what's important um, that, it's the foundation as well of these life lessons that we're going to, we're going to ultimately have to be teaching our kids uh, through all of this uh, very, these unfortunate circumstances that are happening around the world. Agree. And that is a wrap for today's episode. Does this sound like something you want to start doing with your players? Then we'd love to invite you to a live training slash Q and a session in our Facebook group. We're going to hold that tomorrow night, Tuesday the 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we'll go over the seven steps in a little more detail as far as how to implement them, answer any questions you have, and share three ways to utilize our expertise and experience to build your dream team. Thank you again for joining us. Stay safe, everyone, and have a good one.